Real estate investing is one way to build wealth, but it is not for everyone. In this episode, learn how one young woman used real estate investing to her advantage to pay off debt, her tips for getting started, and what you should know about the process. The Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show, the Mental Health and Wealth Show. I have a secret. I'm super excited to share something with you. First of all, May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and I'm super excited to share with you that we created a mental health and wealth calendar with daily strategies, with things that you can do that are simple and easy to take care of your mental health and wealth. Go grab that at mentalhealthandwealth.com. And I'm super excited to announce that we are having our very first Mental Health and Wealth Summit. Mental Health and Wealth Summit. So if you've ever thought that money stresses me out and makes me anxious, or I spend money to make myself feel better, but then end up feeling worse, or my mental health makes it tough to manage my money, then you are not alone. And this summit is for you. We're going to have sessions on money mindset, spending triggers, breath work, removing mindset blocks, and you can even ask a CFP your financial questions. We have limited sliding scale tickets as well as general admission and mental health and wealth supporter tickets. So if you want to join us, I would love to have you there and you can grab your ticket at mentalhealthandwealth.com forward slash summit. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. This is host Melanie Locker. And first of all, I want to acknowledge that you are brave and amazing for being here. Getting ready to listen to a show about mental health and money is not easy, and I know you are ready for these amazing conversations. But before you listen, I want to let you know that all of my content is based on my own personal experience with mental health and money, as well as the experiences and expertise of my guests. I'm not a mental health professional or a financial professional, so content should not be considered professional, medical, or financial advice. As a trigger warning, please note that content on the show may include sensitive topics around mental health and suicide. So if you're currently in distress, please get in touch with a professional by texting HOME to 741-741. Thank you so much and enjoy the show. This is Melanie Lockhart, host of the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Today, I'm interviewing Ogechi Igbekwe, a financial educator, real estate investor, and founder of One Savvy Dollar, a purpose-driven personal finance platform for millennials. She started investing in real estate at age 21, and that helped her pay off student loan debt. Today, she teaches newbies how to successfully invest in real estate so they can skip the sob stories. Her money tips have been featured on Business Insider, Credit Karma, Go Banking Rates the Street, and Nerd Wallet. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much, Melanie. Thank you for having me here. <laughs> of course. I'm so excited to chat with you. And more importantly, I'm really curious to know your story. So you started real estate investing at age 21, and that helped you pay off debt. So let me know everything. I want to I hear how that happened for you. Okay. So the year was 2007 and I was 21 or oh, I was turning 21 and I said to myself, oh my God, I have to do something. I just have to do something major. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I just knew that it, I didn't want it to be an ordinary 21st birthday. Please don't, don't ask how or why I felt that way. Um, and then I, I was watching a lot of MTV back in the day. 
Yeah. So I noticed that Atlanta was, or Georgia is where a lot of celebrity, African-American celebrities um, come from. So I was like, you know what? Let me research housing prices because I, I wanted to be a homeowner. That was certain. I had watched my mom buy her own home while in my country because I, I migrated here back in 2004. So I watched my mom as a single mom buy her own home. And where I come from, things are a little different. I'll explain. If you meet a homeowner, 90% of the time, they own their own homes outright. So own your own home, that means you have to save. Now, maybe things have changed by now, but back then that was that was just how it was. We didn't have loans or, you know, bank. And even if, even if loans like that existed, they were probably at very ridiculous rates. So people had to save and buy up their own home. And I literally watched my mom save a lot of money. I wanted us to, I remember us wanting to, she asked me if I wanted to, us to buy a car or a house. And I told her a car and she was like, no, if, if we get evicted for whatever reason, we can't move into the car. We need a house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, so she, she saved up her money and I went to school. I went to um, high school because I went to boarding school, came home one semester and she said, no, we're not going back to the old place. We're going to the new place. So that was amazing. I was 14 back then. And then seven years later, I had the itch to be a homeowner. So I think watching my mom or seeing that as an example planted seeds in me. And then migrating here, finding out, oh, I don't even have to save that money. So if a house is worth $100,000, I don't need to come up with $100,000 to own the house. I could take out a loan. Okay. And there's more. I don't even have to pay like 20%. I could buy a house with 3.5%. So it was just... It was just amazing to me that the system was so different. And I was like, why not? So I lived in New York at the time. I still live in New York. And then I went to, um, I, of course, I couldn't afford New York. Nobody can afford New York. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, I, and I was looking for a place that was more affordable, you know, nice weather and just all around a great place. And my search took me to Georgia. And so I went there, um, Memorial Day weekend, 2007, I remember so clear. And by July of 2007, I closed on my home at 21. Wow. That's so impressive. I'm curious, did you receive any pushback from the people that were giving you a loan that were dealing with you at this time since you're so young? No, actually, no, because I told nobody that I knew. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yep. And that's a uh, kids. Please don't do this. Do not <laughs> do this. <laughs> if you're, um, please tell someone where you're going. I told no one back then. And it was a very risky thing that I did um, because to tell you how naive I was, I had no idea that I had to book a hotel before. I had no idea that Memorial Day weekend is literally one of the the because it's like the start of summer everyone's yeah. itching to go somewhere mm -hmm. you know so I had no idea that I was supposed to book a, a hotel like it way in advance you know to basically plan accordingly and I ended up landing in Georgia in the evening and thankfully thankfully found the cab guy the cab guy who took me he was like where do you want to go I said you know any hotel and 
that's how we drove around for hours. I'm telling you, <laughs> Melanie, like hours. This this story, this story sounds so bizarre because, oh my God, we drove for hours and I started to freak out in the back and I said, why did I come here? Oh my God, I told nobody that I was coming here. And mind you, this is, we didn't have, you know, Facebook, like where you could like check in. I didn't even know anyone. Now I have friends in Atlanta and everything is all good, but that was a very scary thing to do. And thankfully I was with the right person because he was like, you know, just don't worry about it. I'll, we'll keep driving until we find a place that someone's bound to have an early mon uh, morning flight. And we drove to like 3 a.m. in the morning and finally oh, found one. Somebody had just checked out. It was a Super 8 motel. <laughs> <laughs> Someone had wow. just check, checked out. And that's how, you know, so there was no pushback because, of course, I told no one. As far as the lenders, you have to understand this was back in 2007. I think anyone with a pulse could have gotten a mortgage at the time. They were literally like throwing mortgages to everyone. You want, a, you want a loan? Here, take it. You know, as long as you had something. And thankfully, I had decent credit at the time. So it wasn't, you know, as long as I had some paperwork to show for, for, for the home that I wanted, they were fine with it. Yeah, you mentioned a good point that this was right before the housing crisis and the Great Recession of 2008. So I'm curious, how did that experience kind of affect your real estate investing, if at all? Actually, I came out unscathed, really, because the seller helped me. Well, at the time, at the time I bought my home, I actually thought I was going to move. I thought I was going to move to Atlanta, but it didn't work out that way. I didn't find a school um, like the school that I applied to here got back to me first. So I ended up staying here and renting out the home. Um, the seller helped me find my first tenant. He did everything, did the background check. And she was with me for like a good three and a half years before, you know, I think she lost her job and she couldn't afford to pay and she wound up moving. But I don't recall that I had a very terrible experience per se. Actually, I, yeah, I did pretty well because shortly, shortly after that purchase, I purchased another one. I purchased another property, but this time here in New York, in upstate New York. So, yeah, I didn't, well, other than the value of the home dipping, I didn't have a bad experience. I, I wasn't looking to sell anyway, so it really didn't, it didn't matter to me. That's great. So it sounds like you originally wanted to move into your house, but then you ended up renting it out. So what is the big difference between someone that is looking to purchase a home to live in versus real estate investing where, you know, you're investing in a property, renting it out to people and like you may become a landlord. Like, can you share more about that? Sure. Okay. So the, the difference, if you buy a home that you live in and it's not used as a rental at all, you can get away with like 3.5% down. You can get away with a lower down payment because if a property is for business purposes and by business for purposes, I mean, as a rental property, then you do have to put more monies down. And I think the minimum right now is about 25%. 20, it, it ranges from 20 to 30%. Some banks will take 20. Some banks will ask for 25%. And other banks might request 30%. With real estate investing, you have, you have more tax benefits. You can 
deduct the property taxes that you pay. You could deduct the homeowner's insurance that you pay. You could deduct any and everything. So if your property is out of state and you traveled, you can deduct for that. Your meals, your if you you know stayed in a hotel and had to rent a car, you could deduct all of that. You could deduct um, one major thing, depreciation. And that's huge. That can be huge if you have a lot of houses. You cannot deduct for depreciation on a property that's used solely as a primary residence. You can't even deduct your homeowner's insurance on that. So there are differences, just to cap it up, that on the rental side, you have more tax deductions, even though you have to pay more money up front. Mm, yeah, that makes sense. Right. And you most likely will have a higher rate. So if someone was using a home as a primary residence, your rate might be, I don't know, maybe like 3% right now, 3.5, depending on credit, depending on other factors. With a rental property, you have at least four, five, you know, six points add, add up, depending on how many units, depending on several other factors, your credit. So yeah, there are differences. Thank you for sharing. That's super fascinating and so useful to know. And so I'm curious, how did real estate investing help you pay off debt? So basically, I i mean, after purchasing my first two properties, I kind of stopped. The market started to crash. Everything was just... And then I was in school. I was um, focused on just trying to get my education. And of course, I got into student loan debt. I was able to find a company that offered tuition reimbursement. So they paid like 21000 roughly, but I ended up taking, still taking out $26,000 in student loan debt. Graduated in 2013, bachelor's, master's, started making payments in 2014, and I started to save. You know, I looked at my debt. I was like, I don't, I don't want to have this student loan debt with me in my 40s. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be... 40 something dealing with student loan debt from my 20s. It's it's a crazy system. And student loan is a very complex loan. <laughs> the fact that we're so young when we take out these loans and how how it, it it's almost like a, a maze. Like, you know, it's it's complex. You have federal, you have private, you have direct plus, you have standard repayment, you have IBR, you have graduated. Um repayment. It, it, it's, it's the only loan. And then you pull up, once you graduate and you pull up your, your student loan, it's like seeing a parent, like a family tree, basically. You're like, <laughs> You're like how many loans did I take out for this? <laughs> what, is, what is going on here? You know, and then there's this, there's, there's subsidized, there's unsubsidized, all kinds of stuff. I'm like, there has to be a better way. This has to be streamlined. But first, I need to get out of this entanglement with Nelnet and be done with them because I just, and my payment was only 209, just under $300. And I was slightly irritated by by the debt. And so now I can't even imagine people with like a thousand to pay back. Mm -hmm. Like how, how do you live? How do you survive with that? So I started to save, save my, my rental profits. Back then it wasn't, it wasn't much, but. I still saved up and I paid it off in, I paid off my student loans in three years as opposed to 10 because I was on a standard repayment plan. So I paid it off in three years in 2017. And that literally was a birthday gift to myself. 
Yes. <laughs> that is so amazing. I know how beautiful that feeling is to just pay mm -hmm. off all of your student loans and be like, bye, Nelnet. I'm done with you. Yes. I also had Nelnet. And once I saw that number say zero, I just happy <laughs> cried and I danced and I was super excited. And that's so amazing that through real estate investing, you were able to put some of those profits towards your student loan debt. And so I'm curious, have you been able, like, has real estate investing affected your mental health and wealth in other ways? Well, okay, let me start off with the wealth part. Yeah. Yes, it, it has. Um, I would say it has changed the trajectory of my life. It has helped me increase my net worth. And that's super important when we have the bigger conversation about women, about mm -hmm. black women, mm -hmm. about black people in general. There's a, there's a much bigger conversation, which I don't know that this podcast will allow for. Oh, but, please. Yeah. No, I, I, I want <laughs> to go there, please. <laughs> um, the statistics are not looking good. That's just what it is for women, for black women, for black people in general. The statistics is not is not great. And at the time, honestly, I'm not going to tell you that I was always very intentional, that I've always known these statistics. But, you know, as you as you grow and you, you realize, oh, my God, there are a lot of people who don't even have a net whose net worth is negative right now. So they have a negative net worth either due to student loan debt or just due to other factors in their lives. So just realizing that, OK, I do have a positive net worth. I not only have a positive net worth, I do have a six-figure net worth. And it does feel good. In some ways, my, okay, my mom has since passed away, and she was able to pass on her house to me. And when I think back at that, I think of the properties that I own right now, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to be able to give something to my kids. So... This idea of building generational wealth, that I'm on that path, and that feels good. Now, as far as the mental health, <laughs> I want to tell you that real estate is not for everybody. <laughs> yeah, just spill going, the tea. Tell me. <laughs> I'm just going to tell you. I'm just. It's basically a new level, new devils situation. You are always going to have some type of problems not some type of there's no landlord who has been in the game for a long time who doesn't have a horror story i mean i i once had a tenant from hell i mean he moved in this was actually for on my first property he moved in and shortly after he moved in just stopped paying this was like maybe three months two three months after he moved in and it became this whole thing and then he filed bankruptcy and listed only me as the as his creditor and he was just trying to evade me and but I had the, I had that I'm like you 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 got the right one <laughs> you got the right one I you know I I responded to his bankruptcy claim I did everything and the judge saw him for what it was and ordered that he be evicted that was back in 2014 so but it was a process from November through March November 2014 through 2015 you know, it was this back and forth. So as I would say, real estate is like owning a business. So there are three ways you could build wealth. You could start a business. You could invest in the stock market. You could invest in real estate. 
I always say that when you go with real estate, it's like a two-in-one because you own a property and you own a business at the same time. So you are in a very interesting position. Real estate is not for everyone because you have to have a tough skin, especially if you're a woman. Right now, I'm in the middle of a rehab. I'm rehabbing, so I'm dealing with a contractor. You know, I had to deal with them while trying to price out my um, scope of work. And it's just sometimes when I when I started investing, I was young as well. I've had some tenants tell me, oh, you could be my child's age, you know. Oh, wow. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have to have a tough skin. I'm, I would say that my approach to it is being fair and but being firm. So I'm fair and firm. So you just don't get taken advantage of. And if you don't want to invest in real estate, I mean, there are other ways you could go about it, but I would say real estate is not for everyone. You have to know that real estate is for you. That's how I tend to say. I knew that real estate was for me, like before I turned 21. I knew I always wanted to own property. I guess watching my mom and, and knowing that you have something of value, I've always seen buildings as an asset. So for me, I, I just knew that real estate was for me. I so appreciate that you mentioned that owning real estate is similar to having a business and you're so right. And being a business owner myself, it's, you know, definitely not something for everyone. And I'm glad that you shared that story about your tenant who stopped paying and filed bankruptcy and, you know, you had to evict him because that kind of leads me into my next question is, you know, this past year, many people could not pay rent due to the pandemic, due to severe job loss. And obviously, this is a awful, an awful situation for both, you know, tenants and landlords. It's it's a lose lose situation for everyone. And so, I'm curious, what would your what is your advice for would be landlords in this particular situation, or what has been your experience this past year with people you know who may have been in this situation? Okay, so that's a two part question. For would be landlords, I would say. One of the most important things you can do is to screen people. You must screen all your tenants. It doesn't matter if they're your friend, your family, your relative. It doesn't matter if they were referred to you. Because the issue I had with the tenant from hell, <laughs> I say tenant from hell, um, <laughs> back in 2014, was yeah. that I didn't, I didn't screen him. Mm. I didn't. I didn't, and because he was a referral from my prior tenant, but that prior tenant was a good tenant. That prior tenant I knew for, he, he had lived there for like two years. So it was a case of me transferring trust. I transferred trust to him because the tenant was like, you know, if I have a tenant who's not problematic, who doesn't call me all the time and he pays his rent, and if he can't pay like on uh, the due date, you know, he, he'll send a message and that's just the kind of person I, I'll, I'll give you a couple days extra. No problem. For me, I think I'm, I'm very big on communication mm-hmm. as, as the landlord tenant communication. So we had that kind of relationship, that kind of landlord tenant relationship. And he would, so when he referred this person to me, I didn't hesitate. I just immediately transferred trust to that person income into the new tenant, never screened, never did anything. And of course, that was a major regret. So I would say for newbie, for would-be or newbie landlords, 
just screen. Make sure you have your screening criteria from the employment to credit to whatever you need to do. You verify from prior landlord to see what's going on, why they had to move, and just make sure you have your screening criteria ready. That may not be 100%. Nothing is 100% guaranteed, but it's effective. Mm-hmm. It works. Yeah. It works. So there's that. And then the other part of your question goes back to one thing that I mentioned, communication. The landlord-tenant communication is major. Thankfully, right now, there are, I think the government passed um, relief that could help landlords. So I would say, you know, go on Google, Google landlord rent relief and insert your states because these things vary by state. But try to get some relief. And in, in, in the meantime, communicate with the tenant. But it's hard. I know it's hard. It's hard when the tenant doesn't even want to communicate with you. Yeah. So there's that. And it's a very, um, very delicate situation right now. You know, emotions are high. Everyone's on the edge. There are landlords who haven't collected rents or haven't been paid rent for like maybe a year or close to it. There are tenants who are hurting for real because they did lose their jobs. So just communicate, do your best to communicate, do your best to come up with a plan, a payment plan with them. If they can pay you and, and if you're a tenant, please pay your rent. Yeah. Please pay your At least rent. communicate. Yeah. Communicate. Communicate, pay if you're working. If you're not working, please apply for unemployment because your landlords, I think I'm more sad about the narrative that we've kind of created, the single narrative that we've created. So in some ways, we've created this poor tenant, rich landlord narrative Mm -hmm. where it's an absolute. And by absolute, I mean every tenant is poor and every landlord is rich. I don't think it's that way. It's not that way. It's not that I don't think it's that way. There's so many small landlords. There's so many, all, all tenants, you know, all landlords are not rich people. They're still struggling. They have bills to pay. They have, you know, There's so much to pay from the mortgage to, remember I said that interest rates are higher on an investment property. So that means that they're paying more. I'll give you an example. For me, for instance, my trash bill is higher on my properties because I don't live in it. If I lived in it, my trash bill would be much less. Mm -hmm. That's an example of how the cost adds up. My taxes are not the same as a homeowner. If I owned a home, if I owned my home, I'd be able to claim homestead. It's a tax exemption that gives you a smaller tax because you occupy the, the property. So I can't claim that because my property is a rental property. So this is an example of just how, so I, I pay more taxes than a homeowner. These are the things that most people don't consider when they think about landlords. You, they're like, oh, you just, no, it's not just collecting rents. There's maintenance, there's taxes, there's the mortgage, there's insurance. Your insurance is higher because you have a fire, you have fire hazard insurance. There's trash bills, there might be water bills. And then 
I think I mentioned maintenance. So yes, there are not all landlords are just sitting there collecting money and not having anything else to do. Many still have a job. Like many, my point is many still have to have a job because the rental is not, you know, is not all that, that it is. So I think this narrative that we've created is not a very healthy one. It doesn't, it doesn't, like you said, it's a, it's a lose, lose situation. Everyone should be communicating. The government um, putting out this rent relief is great, but I, I, the process is, I think I was talking to a friend and the process is not quite easy, kind of convoluted as well. So it's, it's just a situation where everyone's supposed to communicate and come up with a plan that is a win-win where tenants get to stay in their homes because yes, there is a pandemic. So the tenants can stay in their homes. We, we don't want anybody, you know, being evicted or being homeless at this time, but also landlords get paid because this money is a trickle down thing. Yeah, totally. Landlords get paid. They can pay the county taxes. They can pay, you know, I got my tax bill in the mail. The county didn't say, oh, because there's a pandemic, you're exempt from paying taxes. (laughs) No, everybody sent their mail. Actually, some some of the bills went up. Some of the and, I'm, and I looked at the mail. I'm like the audacity. Some of the bills went up. Yeah, I'm so glad you you mentioned this kind of nuance and this narrative between landlords and tenants because it definitely like there is this narrative of like you know let's cancel rent, let's support renters, and you know let's stop getting landlords rich. And like while I definitely understand that sentiment to an extent, as you mentioned, that's not the case for everyone. And as you mentioned earlier a lot of people use real estate as part of their business. If you were to substitute real estate with business or side hustle, if that was your business or your side hustle, you know, no one can complain about that. And so we do need to have those conversations that like landlords are real people with real bills too. And they're, they're not all, you know, these huge property companies or commercial developments that are just getting rich. There's, individual investors like you who got started at a young age and you know that's part of kind of your financial plan and we definitely need to take that into consideration and even even as okay so you asked a question earlier about investing like if you don't want to invest in real if you want to invest in real estate without you know the stress so you could invest in real estate trusts it's called REITs R E I T S so it's it's basically like stocks but for real estate. So all these big companies, like these, when I say like major companies that buy medical facilities, warehouse, invest in restaurants or hotels, you know, really huge buildings. So basically when you own a REIT, you own stocks with companies that are involved in real estate. Now those companies pay dividends, I believe quarterly, or some, maybe some of them are monthly, sometimes monthly, sometimes quarterly, because by law, they're supposed, they're supposed to pay out dividends. So we're actually in a trickle because sometimes I think we tend to do things and say, oh, well, that doesn't affect me. And if it doesn't, like, a, for instance, say I was a, a tenant who has no properties and you don't pay rent, you say, well, that doesn't really affect me. I'm not a landlord. So, you know, if it doesn't affect me, then I don't care about it. But we're actually also connected. Everything is so connected. 
maybe in your 401k, you're kind of invested in real estate stocks. You may or may not know. Yeah. So if you have if you have, have a situation where people are not paying, landlords can't, if landlords can't pay their bills well, the banks are not getting paid. If the banks are not getting paid, the money is not trickling back. Your stocks could actually fall. Like you, your, your stocks could actually dip because the company is not doing well. I don't know if that makes, do you catch my flow with that? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It all trickles. The money keeps, this, everyone's money keeps the system moving. So if a business suffers, if it's a big business, for instance, you know, like the Chase and all these banks, for instance, that everyone said that, oh my God, they got bailed out. Or like, for instance, let's say the airlines that got bailed out recently. And everyone's like, no, they shouldn't be bailed out. But well, if they don't get bailed out in some ways, then people are going to lose their jobs. Now, you might not be working for an airline, but you may have family members that work there. Everything is connected is the point that I'm trying to make. Yeah, that's such a great point. And yeah, like we're all in this situation together and getting affected in different ways. Exactly. So the fact that you... You know, you may not be a landlord and you say, oh, my, well, I don't own a home. I don't own property. And so it's really none of my business. Uh, no. If you have a 401k, go check your plans. Check what you're invested in. You may have stocks with companies or in companies that do real estate. And if these commercial buildings and stuff like that are not able to get paid, then, yeah, your stocks might dip a lot. Yeah, that's such a good point. And um, I wanted to go back to something you said earlier. So you mentioned like you knew you wanted to be a homeowner from an early age because your mom, you know, had a home. I'm kind of in the opposite situation. My parents and I like grew up in an apartment my entire life. I, you know, I'm from Los Angeles, which obviously is very expensive. And then I went to New York, which is very expensive. Um, Now I'm back in LA, which is still very expensive. And so homeownership to me and real estate investing to me just like has not been on my radar and has given me a lot of anxiety. And so I'm curious for people like me who are hesitant for mental health reasons, like anxiety and fear, what advice do you have? Would it be just to not, you know, invest in real estate to maybe go with REITs or just to maybe have a low kind of hanging fruit type of way to get started? Yes, you could invest in REITs. That is certainly one way to go so you don't have to deal with people because part of stress, (laughs) (laughs) part of mental health and part of stress, you know, dealing with people could increase your stress levels. And that's just being honest. So if you don't want to deal with people, you don't want to deal with calls and being pulled in different directions by different tenants, then don't invest in real estate. Maybe you could just do the REITs and that's fine. Or you could invest in real estate and hire a property manager. So instead of dealing with, let's say, three people, for instance, you just get to deal with one person. They'll do the work of getting a tenant, of keeping up with maintenance. Of course, you're going to have to pay for maintenance, but they'll have someone, you know, like a handyman do that. If you invest out of state, that might actually be a better option for you as far as getting someone there so that that way you don't have to fly in, worry about, go, you know, visiting and they'll 
just take care of the work for you. So it's, I mean, it's still possible to invest in real estate. You just have to know which method or which plan works for you. You could go the stock route or you could own a building, but hire a property manager. Awesome. Thank you so much. So for someone that wants to get started with real estate investing, but doesn't know where to start, what are the first steps they should take? The first steps to take is to (laughs) have your emergency funds. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Have an emergency fund. (laughs) Have your emergency funds, please. Your emergency funds protect you. It helps you. You have to be able to take care. I told owning real estate is like owning a business. So you have to make sure that you're good on the personal side first. So please have your emergency funds. Take stock of all of your expenses and keep at least three to six months of expenses for yourself. Now, this is for you, for you or your household if you already have a family. That's step one. Step two, you need to pull your credit. You need to know what you're working with. You don't want to apply for this loan only to find out that your credit is not where you need it to be. It's not a matter of wanting where you want it to be, where you need it to be. So please pull your credit because once you submit your application, you're now on the clock. And if the loan officer, you know, your lender finds out there's something wrong with your credit, trying to fix it is going to take more time. But if you pull your credit beforehand, if there's anything wrong with it, basically you just have time to straighten it out on your own before you apply. So have your emergency funds, have pull your credit, then take a look at your debt, your personal debt, because your debt to income ratio is super, super important. The more personal debt you have, honestly, the more stressed out you're going to be, even if you get the loan. So you want to take a look at your personal, your personal debt has to be minimum. At the time I had bought my first home, I didn't even have student loans. So there's that. And I didn't have any car loans. And do you think people should save up 20% for a down payment in order to not pay private mortgage insurance? Or what are your thoughts on that? Well, if your house is going to be an investment property, then it's going to be required unless you live on the property. So if you decided to house hack, house hack is where you buy like more than one unit. So it's like a two to four unit and you live on one one unit. So like you buy a duplex or a triplex or fourplex, live in one unit and then rent out the other parts. So you'll be able to get away with 3.5%. You don't have to put 20% down. But if you're not going to live on the property, then you're going to have to put more money out. Got it. And for that, you need to save up. So I mentioned emergency funds. I mentioned your credit. I mentioned your personal debt. And then you have to save as well for the house. Now, that's buying the, not just buying the house, but even having some reserves specifically for the property. So this has nothing to do with your owning, but this is basically the house emergency funds. Yeah, house emergency so, funds. Right. For the property, your rental property emergency funds, because you don't want that cutting into your own stuff. So, yeah, totally. I always tell people one thing you have to get ready before you're ready. Yes. When it comes to 
real estate, it's not something that you, it's something that you actually have to sit down and plan out. It's going to first start off with a thought. The moment you get that thought, oh my God, I want to own a home. Even if it's going to be where you live or, you know, and in fact, the moment you just have the thought that, okay, I want to own real estate. You have to start prepping, start, just get a, get a folder, label it my property, my home, my first home, whatever you want to label it and just start putting all your stuff together. How much do you need for emergency funds? Where do you want your credit to be? At what score? Basically, um, the higher your credit score is, the better for you. How much debt do I have now? Is my debt under control? What can I pay off so that I look, you know, I look, honestly, money stresses everybody out. Money is a big <laughs> Yes. <laughs> so it's so please, true. Please, you have to set everything, you know, put your ducks in a row. Yes, thank you. And so to close out the interview, I'd love to know, you know, what should people absolutely know before getting started with real estate investing? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> like, how long do you have? Oh. <laughs> uh, I would say, first of all, know yourself. I know it sounds so cliche, but please know yourself. Real estate is a people business. It's a people business. At first, it's transactional. And when I say transactional, I mean like when, you, when you're starting the process, you know, sending your loan officer documents and stuff like that, that's all transactional. Well, there's a little bit of people involved, but yeah. Once you close and everything, the rest of it is really you're in a, a people business. So you have to know yourself, know what you can handle, know what you can't handle. That's one. Um, know the property that you buy. You have to know what kind of properties you buy. That's why inspections are very important. Please don't waive inspections. I know right now people are doing all kinds of crazy things to own a home. You know, some people are waiving inspections. I, I would Never recommend that or advise that unless you're you're fine with being surprised. If you have no <laughs> <Yeah>. problem, <laughs> if, you, if you have no problem, you know, sleeping and the roof caves in, then by all means, please go right ahead. So please know the kind of property you buy. Know the the neighborhood that you buy in. So important. So so necessary. You know, the school. If you have kids, things like school will matter to you is there a park is there a playground is it safe you know what just know the property know the area that you buy the neighborhood what else would i say build relationships you know with real estate agents build relationships with real estate and there's so many real estate agents around many who would love to help you make sure your agent is knowledgeable i love that that was wonderful. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your expertise and your time. And you have such an inspirational story. And I love how you've just used this tool of real estate investing to pay off your debt and to build wealth in your own way. You know, where can people find you? You could find me on Instagram at one savvy dollar. You could also find me on one savvy dollar.com. And it's two V's. So O N E S A V V Y. Love it. Dollar.com. Perfect. Definitely check it out. Thank you so much for being on the show and sharing your story. It's been so wonderful. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And I hope that your, your audience 
is able to take away something from this interview. I had a great time. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, this got into so many great details and things to know and lots of amazing, informative stories. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Mental Health and Wealth Show. Want more content and support? Sign up for the Mental Hump newsletter and get our free mental health and money inventory worksheet. You can sign up at mentalhealthandwealth.com and also check out our other blog posts and podcast episodes. Also, we host a mental health and wealth hangout every other Thursday over Zoom at 5 p.m. Pacific to chat about all things money and mental health. The best part, it is free. If you'd like to support the podcast, it would mean so much to me if you left a review. And you can also support me at ko-fi.com forward slash Melanie Lockhart. And lastly, I want to remind you to do something for yourself to take care of your mental health and wealth.